All right. Welcome into Conscious Conversations with Nick Paladino-King and Nitin Garg. Today, we've got Deb Blum on the show. Deb, how are you doing? I am doing great. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being on. Uh, just a little about Deb. Deb is the CEO of The Whole Soul Way. Uh, she teaches us how to become our own best parents and our own best friends and how to love our, our whole selves and our entire selves. Uh, Deb, I was as we were talking before the show started, I read through your bio, I read through your intro, and I, as I shared with you, I'm, I'm nervous about our conversation today. I feel like there's going to be some major pieces that come up as the three of us really explore the depths of ourselves and our souls. So I'm nervous and, and excited to learn more about your story, about your coaching, and about who you are. So uh, Deb, we'd love to have you introduce yourself and also if you're open to it, lead us and lead the listeners through uh, an opening meditation to get grounded or something to get us present so that we can be a little more here and now. Um, and maybe so the three of us can feel a little safer to go deeper. So I'd love for you to kick it off with something there and then to help us learn about who you are and uh, what you're doing in the world. Great. Uh, of course. Well, one thing that I like to do is teach things that can be brought into our day-to-day -day life. And so this is something that I feel that anyone can do pretty much anywhere um, and any time of the day. So if someone's driving, the one thing I wouldn't do is I probably wouldn't close your eyes, but um, if you're willing to drive with one hand, you can even do this exercise. And so I invite you to either close your eyes, drop your gaze, whatever is comfortable and safe for you, and just start to notice your breath. Maybe you notice your heart beating. I never used to, but now I do. So see if you can tune into that. And breathing in any way that feels most nourishing for you in this moment. Now I invite you to take your hand and one hand and put it on your heart. And if you feel like it, you can take your other hand if you have it available and put it on your belly. And watch the rise and fall of your chest and your abdomen as you're breathing. Bringing your awareness to that movement. And now bringing your awareness to the touch. Whether you're feeling the touch of your hand and your fingers on your body or the touch of your body on your hands and your fingers, whatever that is, just notice it. What, is, what does it feel like? Is it warm? Pressure? And now intentionally use those hands to give yourself touch, maybe a little squeeze, a little extra pressure. Take it in as love from you to yourself. And now I want you to say to yourself, I am here and I'm listening. And take one more breath and come on back. Hmm. 
Thanks, Deb. Well, we're here now. Appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for that. And we'd love to hear more about uh, who you are, what got you into to coaching, uh, especially women, and some of your journey, uh, if you're willing to share. So let's, let's kick it off from there. All right. Well, you are hearing the very first expression of this story because I have had a big shift in my life where I am more aware of the through line of my story. <clears throat> so I think like many people, and I've listened to enough stories on your podcast that I feel like people share this often. It's the story of how we get conditioned and the way that we learn from our family of or origin and our communities that maybe we're, maybe we can't be our full selves, that we have to be what's acceptable. And it varies by family and by community, right? Mm -hmm. um, so for me in particular, it was really about staying safe, flying under the radar. Don't ever be someone who's making other people uncomfortable. The bar was pretty low. <laughs> it was like, don't get hurt and don't embarrass yourself. Don't get, you know, don't like make our family feel embarrassed. And so the thing about that was that I was this, I had this big personality with a lot of energy and a lot of emotions and a lot of needs. And so I had to completely like just dampen myself down and, or at least I thought I did and play small, contain myself. Now, the funny thing about that is that as I went through life, it's kind of a, an amazing thing how life is set up this way. But as I went through life, I just kept getting validation that that was true. Anytime I was unapologetically myself, I would end up either being humiliated or being teased or being, or like friends would drop me like a hot potato or even I got bullied in 10th grade and it was a severe bullying experience. And it was always when I was being my true self. So I get, I just kept getting like layer upon layer. And I remember when I was in my twenties, I prided myself on being like a master at being able to be a chameleon. I could be exactly who was needed in any situation. And I think that's, that also comes from hypervigilance. Um, I experienced trauma in my childhood that I think made me super hypervigilant. So I was very like, I could, I have a lot of compassion. I could understand what was going on in any room. And I think it's why I was incredibly successful. And I really believe that's what being a human was, or that's what being adult, what an adult was, was like being a master of the, of everything and controlling it all. Well, the, the change in my store, the, the change in my life actually came when, um, I was about almost 30 years old. I got married, I got pregnant and I ended up on bed rest and I was, at the time working in a corporate job and I was at Yale New Haven health system. I was a, a leader there. I was at the top of my game and I left my work on bed rest, fully expecting to come back. My baby comes five and a half weeks early. He, he's like, like the teeniest little thing. He's his skin literally didn't fit him. That's how tiny he was. And he couldn't nurse and he couldn't bottle feed. He had to be syringe fed like a little baby bird for the first week. And we were told to do kangaroo care, you know, skin to skin contact and feed on demand. Now I was imagining that I was going to control this whole baby thing. You know, I'm going to do it all this way and we're going to have sleep schedules and 
all this stuff. Well, I, you know, the universe had another plan for me and um, I fell in love with being a mom and I fell in love with my little boy and I, I quit my job and never went back. And I often for up until very recently, I told the story that I lost myself in motherhood. It's not true. I totally found myself in motherhood. Mm. That's when I found myself because I, I, so lately I've been reading the Bhagavad Gita. Well, actually a commentary in the Bhagavad Gita, which has been just um, an incredible experience for me. And in it, there's this whole concept of selfless service and unconditional love and like loving without and like living without separation. Well, that's what I experienced with my kids. Mm -hmm. I had a spiritual experience of no separation of unconditional love of put, for the first time in my life, putting someone else's needs ahead of mine. And it was like, it was profound and I loved playing and I loved being present with them. And I just thought it was the most amazing thing. And um, coupled that with that in that time when I got, I got pregnant um, nine months later or something like that. And my husband got transferred. We moved to California from Connecticut. I had always lived in Connecticut and Massachusetts. So I was always near my family. So I left my family of origin, came to California, knew no one. So I had no friends. And because it would be good for the kids, I stopped watching any TV. So I was like in my own little bubble and it was like a, the mommy monastery. Like <laughs> I was just all in with my kids and I had so much fun and I enjoyed, I enjoyed every moment. But what started to happen was I noticed this dissonance. Like my husband would come home and I was noticing all this tension. My heart was like shut down. I was guarding myself, armoring. I would go be with friends and, and that same thing, armoring up. What is going on? And I had no context for this. Now I can see now in retrospect, how, what was happening in my home comparatively, but I couldn't tell at that time. And all the only context and framing I had was to blame somebody. So <laughs> I, I totally blamed my husband for, because, you know, our marriage was imperfect and there were plenty of places I could point to, but like, why am I so dissatisfied? Why am I so unhappy? And I, I remember pacing up and down my back deck and saying, who is this person living this life? It was like this strange feeling of like, I'm two different people. Who, who am I now? I wanted to feel the way I felt with my children all the time, but I'd be out in the world and I felt completely opposite and all kinds of yucky stuff. So, um, I continued to sabotage my marriage until we almost got divorced. Luckily my husband fought hard. We ended up in therapy and that was the first moment of like real transformation for me to be able to understand my therapist was a transpersonal therapist and she, she was having none of that. This was the marriage she held. She was very clear that this was about each of us individually. Mm -hmm. And so I'll speak for myself here, not for my husband, but for me, I had a lot of healing to do and a lot of growing up to do and a lot of emotional maturing to do. And, um, I thought that what I wanted from my husband was like this romance and connection and passion and stuff. I was really longing to be seen and known and to feel connected on that spiritual level that I was experiencing with my children. But I didn't know that at the time. Um, but my therapist was amazing and she totally, she totally guided both of us to our own healing. And, you know, we talked before about, you know, that this is a long, this is a journey, right? This mm -hmm. isn't something that just happens overnight. And I felt like I was always the slowest learner. I used to say to her, am I the slowest learner you've ever had in your, <laughs> in your practice? And she would be like, 
I'm not even going there with you, but that's, <laughs> but, you know, she was the teacher, the beginning of me realizing that it's on me to do my healing and that mm. I had to fulfill my own, you know, emotional needs at this point. And I remember her saying to me, um, <laughs> it, it would it made me laugh every time she said this, she'd say, Deb, you know, your life is going to get so much easier when you realize that there's no one else out there, but you. And I, but I didn't even know what she meant, honestly, but I, I was sort of taking that in and around the same time I had these two, um, I guess you would just call like transmissions, like from spirit. I was not a spiritual person, a woo-woo person at all at that time, but I'm like, I don't know. I, I just know these two things that I'm not, so, I don't know. I, I have no context for. So there were two of them. Um, one was, and they came at the same exact time. One is you need to journey from your head to your heart. And there's a quote out there, right? About like, that's the longest journey is the one from your head to your heart. Well, that was very true for me. Um, and then the other one, and if anyone's writing it down, I would just say, write down the exact words because um, the second one was that you need to realize that you are loved for who you are, not what you do. So instead of just you are loved for who you are, not what you do, they knew me and they knew that there was no way that I was going to believe that until I could embody it. So I got this, these two messages and they became the guiding messages in my life. But when I got them, I literally had no idea what they were talking about. I had to Google them. I didn't even know. I didn't even know there was something like a mind and a heart that needed to be got, gotten to. I'm like, what? I just have this mind. What are you talking about? And I so love you're, you're Googling. Mind. You're Googling when source tells you this, what does it mean? Exactly. <laughs> and it said, and Google said, buy a book. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, that was a long time ago. That was like, you know, over a decade ago. And when I got these messages, um, there wasn't actually that much in the world on Google about this. There really mm -hmm. wasn't. I got a book that was this very biblical book on the journey from your head to your heart, which I'll never get rid of because it really did awaken me to what that meant. And I genuinely believe that the, that was all BS that I, I'm loved for who I am. What are you talking about? I've been doing everything I can to prove to you that I'm a valuable person that, you know, I had no idea that there was such thing as that, except for just the glimpses of it that I got with my children. So those things just guided me all the way. But what I realized was I, I became like tenacious. I was refusing to just tolerate living the way that I was living with my husband, with my friends, with anyone else. And I was like, I am not going to, I will remove every barrier to love before I die, because I am not going to be a person who isn't going to be my true self, even if it's scary. And even if I have every reason to believe that it's a risk to do it. So I really feel like the work that I have been doing is cultivating enough inner safety so that I can show up more and more fully I believe it's like an incremental process. So now I source safety from within, validation, love within. It doesn't mean that I don't love it when I get it from others and when people can provide space. But what I notice is the more I create this inside of me, the more that it is it is everywhere. Sort of like the, the idea that if I would realize that I'm the only one out there, then my life would get easier. You know, it's kind of like that. It, it's, it shows up in, in reflection. So um, along that journey, just to kind of tie this back to my coaching along that journey, I, I did go to coach training. I first did health coaching, then life coaching, and then parent coaching kind of blended all together now. And um, I have been coaching women for over a decade. 
And I would call myself like a transformational and empowerment coach. But over the past couple of years, I'm not coaching as much. And I now have a program called the Whole Soul Way. And in that program, I teach women how to use all of those places in life where we have inner, inner disturbances and frustrations and pain and triggers to see that they don't have to tolerate those things. They can actually excavate them and use them as fodder to, to grow and heal. I believe life is always showing us our way home to ourself if we're listening. So in my program, I teach them how to use this inner, it's an internal GPS and I call it the soul way GPS, which is to see every single thing that bugs the crap out of you, that you judge that you, that's painful as fodder for that growth. And then I show them how to work through a system to self-coach. And for me, meditation was always very, very difficult. I mean, I know meditation is difficult for people, but I do think for some people, it's almost like inaccessible to them until they've done some inner work. So I feel like for this, I, I have chosen self-inquiry because that's what has worked for me. Um, it's my own form of meditation. And um, even though I now meditate and I can meditate much more peacefully, it took me a really long time to get there. And uh, yeah, so this is what I do now with women as I bring them through that program. And uh, it's been a pretty amazing experience to watch in many ways that I've been able to compress what took me so long to figure out in much shorter time with people when you actually show them the way, when they have context. I had no context. So that's my story. I love, <clears throat> thanks for sharing that, Deb, and, and bringing that out for the first time in a lot of ways. And I love what you just said about compress. I don't think I've, I've heard someone else talk about that recently. It's like, if we can take the things that we've learned on our journey that have taken us 10 years and compress those into really distilled teachings that are applicable, that people can understand and apply to their lives, and maybe in one year, they can transform themselves. I think what a great gift to be able to give the world, um, not to make it easier for people, but to make it more accessible to transform and change. I think it's such a, such a superpower that each coach can figure out on their own to, to give. And I just love that idea of like, how do you help someone wake up and grow faster? Mm. Oh, love that. Yeah. 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 That's like part of our own journey as coaches, right? Is like, how do we instill the things that led to our own personal path and kind of instill it down to a, uh, in a way that it's, it's consumable and folks can make sense of it. And especially in your case, Deb, you talked about, you know, you were coaching a lot one-on-one -on -one, and now you've got this program. So it's more accessible to folks and uh, they can do it on their own pace and so forth, uh, which is, it's part of that, that development journey as a coach too. For sure. There, there's something I read in um, your bio, as well as, uh, you know, right now, when you were explaining it, you, you have this concept of like uh, connecting with folks and helping them uh, almost self-coach and you, you you I think you use the words pick up where our parents left off can you talk a little bit about that and like what what that means to you and how others should that, that was something that caught my eye and I was like oh like there's, there's something there that I feel like will help us peel layers mm. yeah well I'm of the mind that we believe we're adults when we're 18, and um, I have not personally experienced that to be true, And um, even though physically we may be. And I think it's actually a disservice to us to believe that because 
very few parents have actually provided everything that a child would need. And so we are walking around, in my experience, we're walking around as many times emotionally immature children in adult bodies. And we are really doing most everything we do, even the things that appear really kind and generous, we're often doing those unconsciously often as an attempt to get our emotional, our unmet emotional needs met mm -hmm. from childhood. So if we can intentionally step in as a parent to ourselves, we can discover and then fulfill those emotional needs within ourselves. And when we put our hand on our heart and we said, I'm here and I'm listening, it's a genuine first step to a sense that you have some part of you that can step in as a parent and come in and tend to this young part of you, this part of you that is longing to be seen and held. And we think we're longing to be seen and held by other people because that's what we needed from our parents when we were young. But I, I think that I think other adults can do this for each other. And I can't wait for a world where all of us are so whole that like, if I'm so whole and healed, I can actually do that for you. But I really believe that um, if you don't have anyone in your life who can, you best do it for yourself and stop waiting around for other people to do it because it's really not their job. It's really our job to shore ourselves up. And so for me, it's really about the idea that you come in and you, and you, find those needs and you find all the ways that you're trying to get other, like I literally tell people, one of the things I say is if you're out there thinking that other people are supposed to fulfill your emotional needs and you don't know how to do this inner child work, the first thing you can do is take a piece of paper around with you for the next couple of days and write down every single thing that you wish somebody else would do for you that would feel good and start doing it for yourself. That's the first step to doing inner child work. Because if you wish that that person had held the door for you or that that person had validated you or that that other person was respectful to you. Are you doing that for yourself? Because usually we're not seeing ourselves. We're not really connected to ourselves. We we're just so oriented towards like, some, like, like this idea of like, will you be my mother? You know, will you be my daddy? And we're abdicating our own responsibility. And um, unfortunately, I think that we're mostly waiting for another child to do that for us. It's just not going to happen. So yeah, like I really feel like that's how we cultivate inner safety. And I believe that, like I know that I did not get secure attachment, but I think that secure attachment really comes from being raised by a parent who never, where you never had to abandon yourself. That's what I think real true secure attachment is that I never had to, I never had to detach from me. Mm -hmm. And so if I can come back into attachment to me, then I'm getting secure attachment. So that's my own personal opinion. And I know a lot of people who do this in couples and stuff, but I still think the cleanest, fastest way to do it is to do it within ourselves. It's yeah. just a little bit less sexy and it and it defies the the fairy tale. With, within any relationship, there's there's the individual. So there's three relationships. There's there's, for example, in this podcast, there's myself, there's Nathan, and then there's the podcast. So there's each individual and a relationship. So there's three relationships going on. Um, no, something you're saying here, Deb, is just ringing so true to me. I was, I was studying with my teacher last year and really going through some tough times and um, some times where I was going last year, like, do I want to continue the way my life is going and, and all, all different aspects? And, and he looks at me and he goes, man, he goes, you're suffering. And I was just like, 
Well, that's a powerful word. Okay, like I knew I was in pain. I didn't know I was in suffering. And he goes, you're parenting the world. And, and, and I didn't know what he meant, actually, at first. I was like, Dennis, what do you mean? Is you're parenting everyone. He said, you weren't allowed to be a child. You had to be the father. My father wasn't there emotionally. He was there physically, not emotionally. And I had to learn at age 13 to, in essence, become the father of the house. There was always jokes that I raised my brother, that I was his father. So this kind of stuff, right? And, and my teacher, Dennis, goes, Nick, he goes, you're parenting the world. You never were able to be a child. You weren't able to play. And I'm kind of like, I did not realize this. Like, I, didn't, I couldn't see it, you know? And he goes, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to stop parenting other people. I want you to start to parent yourself. And he told me this, and I don't know if you guys have ever had this, but someone tells you something and it's so obvious to everyone else, but to you, it's like the two inch rule and it's so close to your face that you can't see it. So I, I go home and, I, and I'm processing this for like a month or six weeks and I go, okay, I'm going to sit down with my mom and I'm going to tell her that I need to move on and I need to stop parenting everyone, including her. And I'm all, I'm getting worked up and I'm, you know, I got the, these, these thoughts in my mind and these pictures in my mind. And I'm like, mom, I, I got to tell you, I've realized that I've been parenting everyone around me. That's why I'm not happy. And she goes, oh yeah, you've been doing that since as long as I've known you. you and she goes, and you learned it from me. And I'm looking at her like, are you kidding me? Like, did anyone else want to tell me this? And she was like, and you know what? You should probably stop too. And it was just one of these moments of like, it was so obvious and so apparent to other people, except for me, because I couldn't see in my own shadow. Yeah. And not even that I was unwilling to, I didn't even have that language. It was the first time I had heard what you're talking about. So I think there's some people listening now that are for the first time going, well, what do you guys mean? And, and just one more thing I want to throw in there is, I think we're all looking for, to be loved and acknowledged at our core. I'd be interested, Deb and, and Nitin, to hear what, what you two think were, were there. But I think at the end of the day, what we're looking for is to be loved and acknowledged. And Deb, you're starting to touch on this is if we can learn to love and acknowledge ourselves. For me, one way I do that is meditation. That's an internal practice. I love myself and I acknowledge myself. Then I don't need to go out into the external world and find love and acknowledgement in conditional ways of I'm nice to you so that really you're nice to me. And as you learn how to love and acknowledge yourself, as Deb, you said, it's like, I can go out in the world and I can get it and it's nice and it's great and we appreciate it, but we don't need it. And when you can start to get to that place and Deb, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is where you're talking about, about being whole and complete and where you don't need anything from anyone else to be happy. You've learned how to create it for yourself from this internal space that isn't outside of you. Um, I'd love to know what, what you want to add on here, but this is a lot of what I'm getting from, from what you're touching on and, and Nitin too. What, what do you think? What are we, what is it that we really want or need as adults to feel whole and safe and complete? I mean, I think we all use our own words for it, but I think there's something like love validation, kind of this sense of being, I think we want to be known. Like, I think we deeply want to be known, but it's really scary to it's terrifying to be known in like in our wholeness. So yes, all of that. And I think we want to feel safe, but they're all kind of connected because like love, like love and safety and validation and, uh, you know, all of these pieces, right. And acknowledgement, all of that, they're all 
they're all part of, of coming into this sense that we're okay as we are. And, um, so I would just say yes to all of it. And yes, also to that. I feel like the more that we can do this for ourselves, the more that we don't need it in the world. And the paradox is that it's the, then the more we can experience it. Like so often the reason why I can't really experience life and love fully is because of my desire to be loved by others and to feel, you know, to feel safe in the world, to have other people create safety for me. So I'm, I'm like clouded, right? I'm clouded and I have barriers. The more that those things drop away and I'm safer inside and I'm sourcing love and validation and approval all internally, then when I am with another person, I'm able to be present with them and their experience. So it's not this cold thing of like, everybody's walking around, like I source my love and validation and like you do it for you. And we're just a bunch of little individuals. It's actually the complete opposite. It's really the more and more we do this. I think we drop more and more into oneness and we get rid of our selfishness and we are able to be connected with one another. So, uh, yes, I would just say yes to it all. And, and it's, uh, and it's, it just seems so foreign to people because the idea of you of you being something to yourself, like parenting yourself or being your best friend, it's like, who's the me that's doing that? Like, that's just weird for people to start to, to do that. And that's why I like to do it much more concretely with things like talking about the brain and the like my prefrontal cortex is going to be in charge instead of my amygdala. Or I talk about journaling, like that, the, that you're, you're using your dominant hand to be the parent and your non-dominant hand to be the child or something like that. Like I try to give concrete ways because it's for a lot of people, it's just hard to access that. But when we can, oh, it's magical. And when we get over the idea that it's selfish to do this for ourselves. And it's actually the most selfless thing we can do. Then we start to say, see, oh, wow. Yeah. I am a far better human being now than I used to be. I am much more loving, much more caring and much more selfless because of the work that looks so selfish mm -hmm. that I do. Yeah. It, it reminds me of, you know, a, a moment where high school, college, or just general conversations, you know, where people be like, are you talking to yourself? And, uh, you know, if, if someone asks you that or like just in pop culture is like, oh, that's weird. Like, why are you talking to yourself? Uh, or you shouldn't be. Yeah. But but there's always an inner dialogue going. Right. Like, I mean, for most of us, our minds are constantly racing. So whether or not we're actually verbally talking to ourselves, we're kind of more or less talking to ourselves. And part of I think the process is like, OK, recognizing what that talk is. Is it the same? Is it changing? Is is it triggered by something external or is, is it internal? I know part of the work that I've been doing recently with a lot of clients is actually just, okay, when, when you're feeling something or there's emotions and we've been habitually trained to suppress emotions, mm -hmm. you know, whether as children, putting our best faces forward, whether in corporate work, putting our best face forward, there's always a like, oh, let me put this stuff behind my in the closet behind me so that no one has to look at it, including myself mm -hmm. until it gets too much. And then I have to part of the work, I think literally has been to like, when you, when you know, Deb, when you were talking about being a friend to yourself or parenting ourselves, I almost look at it as 
can we start to pay attention to our inner emotions, conversations, just first recognizing them yep. and then starting to slowly dig through to say, okay, what's bringing this, this up? You know, why am I perhaps feeling this way or what's triggering this conversation inside me? What's triggering that judgment about that person? And I feel like that first step, like you were saying, you know, um, in the very beginning, the, I am here and I'm listening is the, I am here for myself and I'm listening to myself kicks off that inner healing process as well. And more can come up yep. to learn from as a, as a result. Yeah. In fact, I think that if a person were to just do that one thing, whenever they thought of it, just put their hand on their heart and say, I am here and I'm listening through, like anytime you think of it through the day and anytime you feel any disturbance or anything, it's a, it would probably change their lives. Just that would start them on the right path because it's like, we don't listen. We have this simmering undercurrent of all that the chatter and then, um, and the feelings even, but you know, it's funny because I've been doing this for a long time. I know you guys have been too. And it's like, I still have to have a practice every night before I go to bed. I have to intentionally look for right now. I'm looking for subtle feelings that I haven't felt through the day that want to be felt. And I have to look for, and I look, I not have to, but these are the things I'm looking for subtle ways that I'm putting pressure on myself. And, and thinking I should be different than I am. And I, I try to find those things at night before I go to bed so that they don't torture me all night long and because they want to be heard. And so I'm with you. Yeah. Like having a space, whether that's meditation, whether it's journaling, whether it's just creating intentional space for it, it doesn't, the other thing I think that's a mistaken belief is this idea that it has to be this, you know, a therapeutic experience, or it has to be a a 20 minute meditation or an hour meditation. It, it's something that really I teach people. We should be, our, our ideal situation would be that this is something about a new way that we are all day long in our lives that we're, we're checking in with ourselves. Like when we have a, a niggling feeling that comes up, that's like a yucky feeling that as soon as we have a chance, mm -hmm. we said, we track back. Oh, like, what was that feeling that I felt? What did, where did that come from? And we do the inquiry that you're talking about here. Um, I say that people, like I say, don't just tolerate, excavate. So we're always tolerating. We're always tolerating. We're tolerating that uncomfortable relationship, that person, then they treat us that way, or the way we treat ourselves or the feelings that we don't want to feel we're tolerating. And I think that it's like, how do we excavate and unearth our truth, our feelings, our needs, our everything, instead of tolerating, like we're always like gripping and tolerating. And that's it's such a such a process. Excavating is such a great word, and something I've been working on myself. One of my practices for the last year or so after I after I picked up the parenting thing was to start to learn how to express my needs more, and how to set clearer boundaries. And and something I've noticed over the last six months and year is I've been blurting things out. <laughs> so you know, the other day I'm at my my studio and. One of our friends goes, oh, I hear you're going up to Sonoma County next weekend to see your mom for, for Easter. And I'm like, I'm not going. And it was like, I haven't developed the skills and tools yet to gracefully express how I'm feeling. What I've learned how to do now is recognize what I'm tolerating, um, decide what I actually from present moment want to do or don't want to do. What I'm learning now is how to gracefully express that and i think it, i'm just sharing that because these are all different processes mm -hmm. you know nithin was saying we you know we start with the awareness yes 
And then we start to work through, okay, what choices do I have? Do I want to tolerate this or do I not? Either way is fine, actually. Notice Deb even caught herself a couple of times saying have to. She goes, oh, I didn't mean that. We don't have, you don't have to, or you can choose to tolerate, that's okay. But then once you move into then, what's the action? These are all different levels or layers of, of subtle work. And I'm noticing I'm getting better at expressing boundaries. Is it where I want it to be? No. But is it better than it was a year ago? Yeah, I wasn't expressing them. So this is how we excavate those pieces. And it might get a little ugly. One of my friends says we want to shake hands with our fears mm-hmm. and make it our friend. And I know, Deb, you really like to go into shadow work. So I'd be interested to know what's your take on, on that. How do, we, how do we find our shadows? How do we stalk them? How do we excavate them? How do we love them, maybe? Mm-hmm. Nathan says, plus one. <laughs> you read my <laughs> Love shadows. Well, gosh, it's such a big subject. Let me just see what. Well, I do think that if you look up do shadow, mind, do you mind if I just point something out that you just did there, Deb, for mm. the listeners, you know, yeah. you, you just said, Hey, wow. Like that's such a big subject. And you took a deep breath to be mm. like connecting with yourself and saying like, okay, what's most relevant about that topic that's coming up for you. Mm. At least that's what I sense mm-hmm. we're doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just want to point that out for listeners. Like oftentimes we are in these situations where things are overwhelming and you can connect in yourself. There's usually a hint of guidance within mm-hmm. and it gets clearer as we do that over time to, to speak from there and continue there from there. So sorry to interrupt you, but I just, that was so beautiful mm-hmm. happening live. I wanted to point that out for the listeners. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, totally. Because there is guidance, I think, in there. And the more that we are like clearing away everything that's not ours, we are get access to that guidance more clearly. And um so often we just jump in. Yeah. And there's that's really it's really important. For me, um, I think the thing that's up around shadows is that I think it gets a really bad reputation because it seems like we're talking about like the darkness, the ugly parts of ourselves. And, um, and also if you look out in the world about shadow work, there's a lot of like this kind of harsh, almost like, you know, like, like this, like talk about excavation. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. right. This thing like that, you know, you got to go in there and like, just like rip, rip it, it out and you know, like, yeah. And, and, um, I like the idea of shadow integration and that it's a much more gentle, I have a very gentle approach to the way I barely, even in my program, I don't, I talk about shadows, but I'm much more about you gently finding these places in you where you feel any resistance and you start to, you start to, I don't even tell people to start with acceptance or love. It's just curiosity. You start to get into curiosity. So I will say this, um, a shadow can be a gold, you have golden shadows and we have dark shadows. We have collective shadows and we have individual shadows. And the 
I talk about a lot of times, like something will happen when you're a child and this can be a, you know, for anybody, some way that you were like in this unabashed, you, you were doing, you were maybe like, I'm, I'm thinking like for me, maybe I was like being silly and playing and I was loud and I was dancing. And then maybe my father walked in and looked at me and gave me a stern look and put his finger in front of his mouth and told me to shush. And I feel this wave of self-consciousness and, and like humiliation, maybe like, Oh my gosh, what did I do? And so then I, I possibly go to the place of like, either I can only be that way in certain settings. So I better be careful or never be that way. Don't ever dance, sing, or be silly ever again. And then like, maybe I get into my adult age and I'm really reserved and I don't want, and I don't dance and I, I don't dance. I don't sing. No. And then I start to like admire other people who are dancers and singers and it's there. They are a literal reflection of something inside of you. It doesn't mean you have to become a professional dancer or singer, but you just might want to bring a little bit more out in your life. And that would be a golden shadow. Now I say anything that we judge in anybody, and that could be a positive judgment or a negative judgment. It's in us. We wouldn't, that's, that's projection. We wouldn't see it in another person, if it wasn't something that was up for us to see in us. And so I will speak to two parts on that. One is everything is coming up in divine timing. Like I really believe if it's up for me and I'm, and I'm judging another person, that's because it's, it's, if I'm judging it in someone else or judging it in myself, it's up for me. It's time. And so follow the breadcrumbs. It's a great time to take a look at that. But I would also just say that um, this is by design. It's beautiful. It's actually what's meant to be. It's the way the psyche shines a light on the unconscious mind. It's the way that it works. And if we don't, if we don't seize every single judgment that we make as an opportunity to find something in me that I am cut off from, I'm missing out on, on the magic, the magic of judgments. So I always tell people, bring on all your judgments. Eventually you will be a much less judgmental person, but do not suppress your judgments, bring them on because then it gets to, it allows us to be able to find everywhere in you where you're cut off from. And so I, I invite people, this is something that people can do in the back of your journal. I invite you to have a page there that says um, parts of me that I'm ready to accept. And then I tell people to have another page that says parts of me that I'm ready to be curious about, because sometimes we're just not ready to accept them. But I usually have both because sometimes they're easy. It's an easy thing you can just accept. But at the end of the day, years for years, I would go and I would just go through all my judgments of the day and I would just add them to my list and they would start working without me even having to do anything. Just my intention that instead of me thinking, oh, I'm judging someone, someone for this, I say, no, it's a part of me that I'm ready to accept. And then my psyche starts to accept that more. Now, I'll say one other part and how this connects to inner child work. To me, every one of those is just an inner child part. It's just like a little part that wants my attention and wants a little bit of love and wants a little bit of care and wants to be, wants to be seen. And almost every behavior we have, I don't care how selfish or needy or mean or whatever, it's just a part of us that's trying to protect us and trying to do, thinks it's doing something that's good for us. So I just invite people to be super curious 
and not be afraid of the shadow. I have so much I could say though, because I'm like, oh, but now I haven't talked about this really important part and, and we could go on and on. But um, I think I just want to leave you with one final thing, which is the challenge with this is that we have this collective shadow where we have decided certain things are just bad. And uh, almost every woman that I work with abhors the idea of being called selfish, needy, lazy, mean, even disrespectful. And it's really, really hard for them to even want to look at those. So I say, first of all, go for low hanging fruit. Always do the low hanging fruit because every, if you could imagine that there are like a hundred holes in something, right? And, and every time you put something into that hole, that, that thing becomes more whole, more integrated. Maybe it's like a puzzle, right? And you keep putting the puzzle pieces, it becomes more integrated. It doesn't matter whether that is a, um, a part of you that is like the deepest place you never want to be, or whether that's the simple little thing that you're like, oh, I can accept that in me. They're all integrating. So go for low hanging fruit. Don't worry about the, dar the darkest ones, though the darkest ones will feel really good to integrate. And that's where I say to people, I always invite people to um, bring in a drop of something. And I'm going to use disrespect as something. If you talk about disrespect, a person who disrespects them, who a person who disrespects other people, usually they're more worried about themselves and they're less worried about the other person. But the person who is always being respectful is oftentimes abandoning themselves for other people. And we think we're usually wicked virtu virtuous over here. We're always respectful. And the other person's never respectful. Usually we're dancing somewhere in the middle and having a tiny bit of disrespect in your arsenal will actually help you to have a backbone. So I invite people to just bring in just a drop of that negative characteristic. Just bring in one drop of that. And that will help you to be able to break out of your kind of like cherished idea that you are always a respectful person. And it'll give you just enough to be able to do just a little bit more of that, whether it is, you know, like Nick talking about like, coming in and being able to set a boundary and being able to say, that's not going to work for me or ask for what you need. And it's, you're not going to be so hung up on and attached to like, I can only be respectful or I can only be the person who gives to everybody. So I know I just said a lot. <laughs> There's so much to say about shadow. It's almost like, you know, I Keep wish there was a word for like, hey, being respectful, but not letting others run over you. There probably is. Maybe it's like, you know, speaking from your dignity or, or something along those lines. But something that comes back, something that comes up a lot for me is this like need for finding the right balance within us. Like I think that word balance has always struck out for me is, you know, between the concepts of respect and disrespect, between anger and joy, between sadness and happiness. There, there's always a balance. You don't, you know, it's not that I never want to be sad. If a, if a situation is truly sad, I want to feel it. Yeah. I, and I want to know what that brings up for me. And maybe there's a there's something genuine there for me to look at and learn from. And if I'm really angry about something, I want to feel it. I want to know what that what spurred that anger and what I can channel that into. And maybe it's my issue. Maybe it's someone else's issue, but it, it's obviously there. So it's worth looking at. 
Yeah, because you're talking about the idea that like it's really this concept that everything and everyone, I like to use the phrase one because I think it's parts of us, everyone's welcome. Everything's welcome. I don't like whatever feeling I'm having, you know, I might resist it, but then once I notice I'm resisting, it's like, no, 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 you're welcome to everybody's welcome to the party. Like, come on in. You know what? I might not let you, you know, I don't want you to overrun my life. Like that's the fear. I think the ultimate fear is that like, if you, if you meet anger, it might overwhelm you and take over. Or if I let in greediness and I start to get to know greediness, I'm going to become greediness. It's actually the exact opposite. This is the, that's the irony of it all, right? The more we suppress any of the thing, these things, the more likely they come out in self-sabotage in or sabotage in general in these unconscious ways. Once we shine a light on it, then I'm like, well, now I know how I have the power to be greedy. Oh, well, I'm going to choose. I don't want to be greedy. I want to make a choice to not be. But once, but when it's underneath, it's like coming out in all these sneaky little ways, that little trickster. I call her the inner protector for, for the women that we work with, that we have this inner protector and that's out there trying to like keep us safe in all these ways. And um, we just have to meet that meet those parts yeah that was the the piece i shared of shaking hands with your with your fear or your judgment or your anger because if we don't look at things then we're in aversion and then how do i actually know anger or disrespect or guilt if i've never actually had a conversation with it because when we really get into the shadow work and we look at the light and dark sides even the dark aspect or the dark shadow side has a light aspect to it. That's called polarity. So maybe there's a piece of me that, I'll go back to the boundaries thing. Maybe there's a piece of me that is terrible at boundaries. Well, what's the positive aspect of that? I'm willing to serve and help and, and sit with people anywhere and everywhere. Okay, that's a positive aspect to a negative aspect of myself. And then I, and Deb, something I'm getting from you is that you've got such a lightness around this work. Um, some, as you were talking, I was actually curious what's helped you cultivate such a light and positive and kind of fearless approach to diving deep into yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I wasn't always there. I mean, when I went into therapy, I, 100% believed that I was not bad. I was all good. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, I remember, so my therapist was, um, trained by Byron Katie in her living room. When Byron Katie first had her awakening, she was Byron Katie's age. And they were like a bunch of friends sitting around when Byron Katie started to express her, like the work, you know what I'm talking about? The, the work of the inquiry. Yeah. Do you know what I'm I've talking heard about? a little bit. I actually, I'm not too familiar. Okay. Well, anyway, she did this work, which was to, to inquire into your judgments and beliefs about people. And then basically, ultimately to come back to that it's in us. It's She does it in with a bunch of questions. Is this true? Are you sure it's true? What would it be if mm. you didn't believe if this, if you didn't believe this to be true anymore? Mm. So um, I didn't know this. I knew nothing about this, but my therapist kind of walked us through this. And I remember the first time I got exposed to a shadow part of me, I was in, I mean, I, I just got to give my husband so much credit for tolerating how brutal I was because I was so angry with him when I went into therapy that I would come in and bring a judgment of him pretty much every time. And then she would work through it with me. And one day I finally got it. I brought up materialism. 
And so we went through this inquiry. She kept asking me these questions. And then I, I was like, oh my God, I get it. I get it. I am judging in him that which is in me that I don't want to be. And it was like a visceral reaction to it that I was like, oh my God. And ever since that day, I actually get excited. To me, it's the most empowering thing because I no longer have to believe that I'm a victim of your, of those things that other people do. Like that's just, that's powerlessness to me. Um, so I have felt excited about that. It gave me an entry point. It gave me the opportunity to do something with these yucky feelings. I was an incredibly judgmental person. So I loved that I could do something with it rather than just sit in it and tolerate the yucky feeling of judging another person and then feeling like they're wrong and bad. I didn't want to feel that way. So that was the first thing was just me really. So I started off with Byron Katie's work and I just started, I would do a worksheet every time that I was feeling it. And that's probably what birthed me doing these worksheets and self-inquiry with the work with the people that I work with now is my own personal experience of it being so useful. But I really believe that my lightness in it is comes from the work that I have done, the integration of my shadow parts. I was just this morning doing one. Yesterday, I was talking to my husband and I was talking about that I feel like I've lost some of my spontaneity. He's a little bit more of a planner and he likes to think, it's not even a planner. He likes the process of doing things. And when it comes to buying things, I might be like, I want that couch, let's do it. And then he's like, oh, let's talk through, let's do this and do that. And and um, and it just kind of dampens down my spontaneity. And I was feeling a little bit almost like irritated that my spontaneity has been like suppressed. I could feel a little blame energy in there and everything. Well, so this morning I took out my journal and I started writing about spontaneity because to me, it's a little bit of a shadow to some degree because it was something I hadn't, like, I think a shadow is anything really you haven't explored too. can be. So it was like a part of me that I had this opinion, like I'm a spontaneous person and I want to be this spontaneous person in the world. But then when I really like mapped it out for myself, I'm like, well, but the shadow of that is that I would sometimes be careless. And sometimes I was doing things without thinking it through. And how can I find the, like, as you said, <laughs> the balance of it, right? It's like the balance of where do I want to be on this? And, and where am I on different situations? Like if you're buying a house, maybe you should really be thoughtful. But if you're buying like dinner for tonight <laughs> and I decide to do something different, it's not that big of a deal. And how do you, how do you place yourself on that spectrum rather than believing you are one thing or another? Like I'm spontaneous. And so therefore everything I do needs to be spontaneous. It's like, no, actually my, there's this other side of that, which is a beautiful thing to embrace. So now I'm trying to embrace like, what is, what exactly is the, the shadow of spontaneity? Yeah. Right. And then we also see the other thing too, is that every light side. So I think that Nick, you said something like every light side, every dark side has its light side. Well, every light side can go to the place where it has a dark side. Like you, like, for example, if you're being loving, respectful and kind to other people, but then you go to the other side, it's like, okay, this is true self-abandonment. I'm now, I'm now, I'm taking more than hundred percent of responsibility for things. Now I'm enabling other people. Now I'm, you know, not letting other people grow up and mature into their to their potential. So it's like kind of this place of just, it's a, it's an, an inquiry and a like curiosity about these parts of ourselves.
I yeah, think like almost uh, you know I, I was almost getting the recognition of we don't need to box ourselves mm -hmm. into any particular <laughs> label or category you know the the sort of flow between those things is up to us to decide and feel into that's part of the magic of life almost yeah yeah and and if you think about I think our souls long for wholeness like I don't think that like if I if I think of myself as a soul in a body it's like well you know there is nothing wrong like all of these characteristics all the all the human capacity to do something in the world whether that's what we label that as a good or bad there are times when you know you need a little bit of this and a little bit of that and it's only in any extremes and we're seeing that right now it's only in any extremes that we're really this is a problem when we're dancing in the middle and we're trying to find that balance for ourselves, it's very unique to ourselves, but also it's also unique to the situation. It's really, I think it's just about coming into wholeness and that whole feeling like someone, someone talked about the idea of like how integrated of a being we are. And I loved that when I learned that, because it's like, that's what I feel like we do when we do this work and we start to say every part is welcome. So, so then I'm not, so when I'm accepting of me, that means that when I'm with you, I'm accepting of you. And so then you feel that and you start to say, maybe I'm not that bad. Maybe, you know, that's why I love group work because the women come into the group and they are able to, they express themselves really, really openly. And everyone in the room is kind of like, oh, we all have those thoughts. Oh, we all feel those impulses. Oh, okay. So I'm not, we're just in our own heads thinking we're these evil people because we think these thoughts and it's like, nope, just part of being a human. Mm -hmm. That just gave me chills. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you know, when I'm accepting of me, I also become accepting of you. Mm -hmm. And it, it rings true. Just, you know, having been doing the inner work for this last decade plus, uh, and realizing, I mean, I remember there was a time when I didn't even know what judge, what the word judgment meant. It was like almost like a blind spot of like, Oh, am I, I'm judging. What do you mean by judging? Mm. And then as that became more apparent and then realizing that I was judging all the time and <laughs> anything and everything, mm. you know, and then slowly accepting that, that it was happening and what I was judging and what the judgments were and, working through them looking through them eventually you come to the stage which is oh i don't have to judge myself i can just be with the experience and i don't have to judge others they're going through their own experience yeah yeah do you think this liberates you it totally oh my god it's so liberating it's so liberating i'm curious like when you didn't know that you were judging do you feel like that was because that was a like almost like a shadow of you, like you didn't, you had suppressed it, maybe been told not to judge or like, what do you think was going on? I think I th at least when I look back at it, for me, it was almost like uh, it was the way of being because all I saw all the time around me was judgments Oh, yeah. that you were constantly supposed to have an opinion and mm -hmm. a, you know, a perception of what things were and what was right and what was wrong. So always have this like very opinionated way and you're mm. either in this camp or that camp and that was just the way the world seemed to be and so that's kind of mm. how I was operating until 
it was not fun and it wasn't fulfilling. And I was like, wait, I don't really fully belong in that camp. And I don't really fully belong in that other camp either. Like, do I have to judge either of them and myself in the process? So that's kind of what started to, I think, break the shackles. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially rang true, you know, in terms of politics and taking sides on certain topics. It's like, no, there, there's actually a lot of shades of gray mm-hmm. versus white and black for every topic and every, you know, situation. Yeah. I love what you said there, because I like that you connected that the, um, it's not, it's like judgments also are opinions and we are encouraged in some ways to like, you know, bring, you know, yeah, have an opinion. In fact, you know, right now it's like you, if you don't have an opinion, you know, there's a problem, right? Like if you're You're nuanced, you don't have an opinion, right. It's like, I know. And I don't know about you, but like, it's almost painful for me. Like if someone says one perspective, I'm like, yeah, but, <laughs> or usually I try to say like, yeah. And what about this? It's almost painful to be that locked in on one side. Once you start to hold, cause it's also about holding a compassionate view of another person, mm-hmm. right? Like holding that the view that that person is doing what they're doing because it makes complete sense based on the life that they've lived. It doesn't excuse their behavior, but I can at least understand their underlying reason why they're doing what they're doing. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Nick, what's coming up for you? Oh man, just, we can spend another hour talking about judgment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, I'm with Nithin. Nithin, we're we're taught to judge as as a whole, as the collective consciousness we're taught to judge. We're taught to judge because it keeps us safe. It proves that we matter, proves that we exist. And as, as you both were talking, I was thinking to myself, I really try to not say I am fill in the blank. Like I am a happy person. <clears throat> no, I'm a pacifist. No, because those lock me into realities mm-hmm. that aren't present moment. Because what if there's a time and a place when being happy isn't appropriate? What if there's a time and place where being passive isn't appropriate what if there's a time and place where not judging isn't appropriate i mean if we really want to get the judgment then we got to start to look at well then now we're not going to judge judgment mm-hmm. and we're not going to make judgment wrong and like oh well no one ever taught about that all the, the social media stuff's just saying don't judge but yeah but if you do judge then don't judge that because it's perfect so this is where for me it's just a it's a rabbit hole and it's about you said it deb it's like whatever i'm judging is what I need to pay attention to. That's my stuff. Whatever you two are judging, that's your work. If you choose to, to look at it, and it's, it's so important to understand that, and judgment is it's a reflection of how we're thinking, how we are in the world, our perceptions, and it, it locks us in to limited realities. So yeah, the less we can learn to judge, the more we can learn to love and accept. And, and Debbie, you had said something a long time ago at the beginning of the episode around, at first it's really hard to not judge or something like that. And what I want everyone to hear listening is at some point when you practice awareness and you practice non-judgment, at some point it gets easier to not judge once that becomes your way of being. But at first, when you've got 20, 30, 40 years of practicing judgment, it's going to be hard. It probably will be hard to stop judging as much until you go, oh, my life's getting easier. I'm happier. I'm healthier. Things around me are working. Oh, this non-judgment thing is starting to work. And then it becomes kind of your, your MO is, 
you judge less. And then you've got momentum. I think we want to get to 51% non-judgment, 49% judgment, and then you can build momentum and it grows from there. And then, you, and then also we can talk about non-judgment, but at some point you've got to, you got to get in there for yourself and see if it works for you as the person. Because until you experience these deeper aspects of non-judgment, then you can only understand so much through reading about it or listening. So go practice this. And kind of to sum up our call, our talk from today is, Bring awareness to yourself, bring awareness to your pieces, your trigger, your judgments, get to know them, be curious about them. You don't have to rip them out. You don't have to pull them out and excavate them in an aggressive way. You can do it in a very loving, non-judgmental, compassionate way, a very easy way. Um, and over a long period of time, those little changes will, will create transformation in yourself and your community and your world. And it's, it's a pretty simple process. So that's not easy, but a lot of what Deb and what we talked about is, is, is simple. And it's about self-love, compassion, and finding, finding your own parent inside and um, understanding life is never outside yourself. That's a really big teaching. So I really, I love mm -hmm. that you brought that one in too. Mm -hmm. That's all I got to say for now. <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah. Well, Deb, anything to close us out? Um, anything to finish off and then anything you have going on or the way people can find you, we'll put your, your contact in the, the show notes, but I'd love to know what you've got going on and how people can connect. Yeah. And I would just say, like, I just, I would say one thing about the judgments part is I actually don't think you can stop judging without judging. Like, I just don't think it's possible. I think you'd just be with, you would just be creating another shadow in you because you'd be suppressing, as you said before, like, don't judge the judge, the judger or the judgment, like, bring it on. It's like, it's almost like you have to, re, you have to, you have to illuminate it in order to be able to work through it and then metabolize it. And then, I mean, I would definitely say like, I'm so rarely judgmental anymore. And whenever I am, it's so quick. Cause I could just be like, Oh, like first I could be like, Oh, like you're so cute judging. And then I can kind of come into like, usually I put my hand on my heart pretty quickly. And I just be like, Oh, I can see that in me. Like without judgment of that, that's a bad thing. Like, oh yeah. Or if someone judges me, I'm trying to work on this thing of like, oh yeah, I could see that in me or I could see that I could do that. You're right. You're absolutely right. You know what? I, I probably could be that way. And it's this, it's like, a, it's just like, just, it's like a softer way of being. So yeah. All right. Well, thank you. This has been awesome. I've so loved this conversation and I agree. We could probably talk for another hour. Um, my, you can find me at the whole soul And as you said, I, you know, you're going to put the, the link in there. So that's great. And I would love to see people, you know, join my list. That's probably the best way to stay in connection with me. Rad, rad. Well, Deb, thanks so much. That was so fun. It wasn't that scary at the end of the day and uh, really appreciate your time, your energy, your presence, your teachings. There's a lot of takeaways for us and everyone listening. So really appreciate your time and uh, thank you so much for sharing with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Deb.